Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hi, this is Susie York, and you're listening to the next episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here and even more honored to have Ellen Kadroff join us. Ellen is the founder and president of the Cured Foundation, which stands for Campaign Urging Research for Eosinophilic Disease. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Uh, well, Ellen, we've had a chance to connect in, in learning about um, your organization and your story. It is so clear to me that you are really the true definition of a mom on a mission. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and what inspired your start um, to start Cured? Sure. So my daughter, Jory, at 10 years old, was diagnosed with eosinophilic gastroenteritis. Of course, like everyone else, we never heard of that and reached out to the doctor, asked him how to spell it, what was it. Um, we were kind of stunned. They thought she had celiac. We were very concerned about removing wheat and gluten from her diet. And the doctor then took some blood allergy tests and came back and told us she was allergic to, I believe it was eight or nine foods. Um, we cut out the top six with a few extra. Um, life was a big challenge. We felt like we needed to go to an expert in this field. So although we lived in Chicago with great medical care, we um, found Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and that's where the leading research and doctors, or at least the doctors that were seeing the most patients with this disease. And after three months on this elimination diet, we took Jory to Cincinnati, where we were told that she may never be able to eat again, and she had this chronic disease, and I guess didn't sit well with me, the youngest of um, three of my daughters. Your life is going pretty easy, and then something like this comes into your life, and it was pretty shocking. And I asked the doctors why, you know, there wasn't a cure or what was the cure, and I was told there was no money for research. And in my mind, I always believed that hospital-funded research, um, not knowing much about it, and I was told that's not always the case. Hospitals may fund for one year, but most researchers are on their own to get their funding. And at that point, I just looked at Dr. Rothenberg and said, how much do you need? And he let me know that a million dollars would be a great place to start. And something came over me, and I just looked at him, and I said, somehow I will get you this million dollars. And we came home from Cincinnati and I talked to my family and my friends and we put together the Cured Foundation and it was my goal that we would be able to donate 100% of our profits from fundraising to research, that nobody would take a salary, we would be an entire volunteer group of people um, with one focus and the focus was to find a better treatment and a cure for not only my daughter, Jory, but for anybody who suffered from an eosinophilic disease. Wow, that is incredible. And I can imagine the million dollars probably sounded almost impossible to reach. Almost impossible. <laughs> and this was, you know, remind me, this was about 15 years ago? 
Yeah, it was actually 2003 when we started the Cured Foundation. And so we just had our 15th anniversary and very happy and proud to say we have now donated $5 million, um, not only to Cincinnati Children's, but to nine different medical research hospitals across the U.S. Wow, that is unbelievable. And the amount of awareness that you have also driven in the community that you're building around this club that nobody really wants to be in, but once they find themselves in it, they really need support. <laughs> um, so that's just Absolutely. incredible what you have done. And 15 years ago, we didn't have ways of, of reaching people or understanding this disease. What resources did you have 15 years ago? Well, there was actually a Yahoo support group on, I guess, Yahoo. I mean, you would just go on and they had, um, you know, people chatted back and forth on there. But there was still so little known at that time that basically everybody was in question, even the doctors a lot were, you know, had there was always more questions than answers and it's certainly over the past 15 plus years has incredibly changed. Um, There's so many wonderful doctors and researchers now. I know that people still feel they have to travel so far um, sometimes to get good care. There still are not doctors in every state, especially not in every city. But it is another thing. Cured is working hard to educate doctors all around the world, actually, Um to be able to treat this disease better and to follow some kind of protocol where every doctor is following and doing pretty much the same kind of treatments. Mm, that is something that I've noticed just being on some of the Facebook groups that people seem to be following different treatments and have so many questions. You know, what are you seeing are the, the latest treatments and how do we make sense of the differences? Well, I don't even think that the treatments has changed so much, but oftentimes in the support groups or when someone calls me, they'll let me know that they are a new diagnosis and the doctor actually put them on a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor, and they put them on Flovent, which is a swallowed steroid used to take down the inflammation in the esophagus, and they told them to remove let's say dairy and wheat, some just dairy, but different foods. And my, my statement back to them will always be, you know, if you're scoped in three months, how will you know which procedure actually helped you, which protocol, Mm -hmm. you know? And so doing one thing at a time, either trying a medication, eliminating food, you can't do everything at once because it's not going to really give you an answer. And so to me, that's a really important thing to know as a new patient that things should be tried one at a time, not necessarily one food at a time, but if you're eliminating food, then that be your first treatment. If you're, you know, starting on Flovent or Budesonide, a swallowed steroid, then that should be your treatment, but you need to know what's working and I think that's a misconception of many doctors that they're not thinking down there that route. They're just kind of throwing things at, you know, patients like that. And that makes a lot of sense because I'm sure they're looking at the most immediate thing to do, which is to reduce the patient reported symptoms. And yet this is for the long haul. And so what we really want to do is try and figure out what's at the root of it. Is that kind of where you're coming from? 
Absolutely. I mean, you need to, it is a long journey. And by doing too many things at once, I believe you're just making the journey longer. I know for us, we started the journey for my daughter at 10 years old. And even when she went away to college, I thought, wow, you know, if we would have had done maybe certain things different, um, she would have had more food to take with her on her journey of college and such a limited diet or things like that. So it is a long journey. And if you're going backwards instead of forwards, obviously it's going to make the journey a lot tougher, you know, towards the middle or end of what you're working towards. Mm, absolutely. So that's a great point. So one variable at a time when it comes to the treatment, that's really helpful advice for people who are new. You also just mentioned looking back on your journey with Jory and having things you would have done differently. Is there anything that, that would be helpful to share or that you wouldn't mind sharing about that? Sure. So probably one of the biggest things that I would have changed and everyone does not um, fit into this category. Um, Another thing very important to know about this disease is every patient has a different variance of it, not two patients. Two patients don't have it exactly alike. So I never want to make anyone feel afraid that because my child was told she had to stop eating food, that that's going to be somebody else's journey because they may never hear anything like that. And, you know, I, I hate to put anyone into fear, especially a newer patient. But for Jory's journey, um, she originally was diagnosed with a disease in her stomach and her small intestines. We were told that there was a possibility she would have to remove all food from her diet. And several times during the first few years, we were given that option. And we chose as a family. And another thing I always tell people, you have to do what works best in your life, in your family. And you have to consider, obviously, the health, but you have to consider the mental health also. And so it was very um, stressful for us even to think about removing all food from her diet. It was something she did not want to do. And it devastated our family even to think about it. And so we kept pushing it off and trying different medications. And as nothing worked, and by the time she was 14, we were basically told there was no more choices. We needed to remove all food and most likely put her on a feeding tube to get her nutrition. And she chose at that time that she would want to drink the formula or at least try and drink the formula and not have the feeding tube. And she did remove all food. I'm not going to say it was easy, um, not for Jory for sure and not for the family, but after she scoped clear, after having no food for a few months, and then starting the journey of reintroducing food at 14 years old, I thought to myself, had we done this when she was 11, we would have had three more years behind us of food trials, and she most likely would have had more foods to leave for college with. And so I tell people, even though it sounds devastating and it sounds very scary that I think that most children, adults, once you start removing your triggers, you feel better. And when you feel better, you start to thrive. Jory was not growing or gaining weight or thriving. She looked like a normal eight-year-old at 14. 
and by removing foods within a year and a half, she looked like a normal 16-year-old. I mean, it was an incredible experience. Take away food and watch somebody grow. It's not what you think is going to happen. Um, but it did, and it was what she needed. And although emotionally it was very difficult, um, I think the fact that she was feeling better and the fact that she was thriving put some positive into the light of what we did, and we could understand that we did the best thing for her. And had we done it earlier, I think it would have been a little better for her college years of going away on her own. So my advice to people is if the doctors are recommending formula only, although it is scary, to take away that pain and suffering and to allow your child to thrive is so important. And I don't think very many people after actually doing this would look back and say it was a bad decision. I think most people would think it was a very good decision. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that just to alleviate people's fear, I'm always happy to talk to, you know, patients about it or if there's questions, go through a little bit of our journey. Yes, it was difficult, but so worth it, I believe. Wow. There's so much to that story I'd like to ask more about. Everything from the 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 family decision making that it sounds like you made to the emotional impacts and to the the thriving without food that that's an amazing kind of you know oxymoron in my mind so if you don't mind I'd love to just ask a little bit more about the the family piece of it how you mentioned you had two other daughters and this was a decision that would affect everyone what has it been like for you as a family to have EOE as a part of it Well, it certainly changed our family dynamics. Um, Jory, like I said, is the youngest of three girls. Um, As far as removing food from her diet, when that happened when Jory was 14, her sisters were both away at college. So I had a senior in college, a freshman in college, and Jory at 14 being a freshman in high school. So it affected the other children Obviously, our emotions in our family had changed. When you have somebody who's chronically ill, it changes things in your family. But as far as the food, even from Jory's diagnosis, we stopped going out for birthdays. We stopped going out to dinner in our family. We celebrated at home. Um, We celebrated without birthday cakes on birthdays because if Jory couldn't have a cake, I didn't really feel the need that anyone needed to have a cake at that birthday dinner. You know, the other girls could have a cake when they went out with their friends or, you know, at a different time. The cake isn't the important part. It's being part of a family. And um, as far as what worked in my family when we removed food, my husband worked a lot of evenings um, and wasn't home for dinner. So I stopped cooking in my house. When Jory stopped eating, I stopped cooking. And dinner for me consisted of a turkey sandwich, standing at the side of the refrigerator, eating my sandwich, and not having Jory come down to the kitchen. Um, If she didn't want to or there was really, I mean, I would bring her formula up to her room while she was studying for her to have her dinner up there, maybe sit with her. In the morning, I would bring her formula up to her bedroom when she was getting ready for school. That's what worked in my life. When Jory started her first food trial and she was allowed to eat potatoes, 
I believe that was her first food trail. I can't remember exactly, but I might have made chicken and potatoes for us, and Jory would sit at the table and eat her potato, and but maybe barbecue outside or bring in a cooked chicken. I just didn't want the house to have the aroma of great food that Jory used to eat that she couldn't have at the time. Wow. So I felt like even though the rest of the world was eating, that her home could be her safe haven. That's amazing. And she never felt like she wanted to not be around food outside of the home. In fact, I tell people two weeks before Thanksgiving is when we remove food. And I said to her, you don't, we don't have to go, you know, to your aunt's house for dinner on Thanksgiving. We could have family fun night at home. We could play games. We could... And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, Mom, Thanksgiving is about family. It's not about food. And, oh. of course, you know, when you're told by your daughter like this, I mean, it was an incredible feeling. And so she's kind of led the journey, too, of being the strong person in the family and dealing with this in a way that other people shouldn't have to always suffer because of her disease this was her disease not everybody else's disease wow well that really so. speaks to the values that you instilled in her and the resilience and and your story of resilience when your daughter was diagnosed you had the option to to sit and be upset or angry or anxious and instead you took action and created cured so it doesn't surprise me that she has such a great attitude Thank you. Oh, and I, I particularly like about the story, the holidays and the fa- and the birthdays that you mentioned, because that's something on my mind is h- how do I help my son, who's a little too little right now to, to think about it, but as he gets older, to still embrace the family aspect of holidays that everybody else will unknowingly still be focused on food, and that's okay. Um, but that the birthday parties that you mentioned, that the, it isn't about the cake, it's the celebration and Thanksgiving, same thing. Um, so I'm really hopeful hearing your story that I'll be able to cultivate a similar set of, um, you know, kind of values in Tyler. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. So we've also talked a little bit about the emotional impact. Um, and it's something that's coming up for me is this idea of, how isolated I first felt when Tyler got his diagnosis because I I didn't understand it. I didn't know where to go. And it took me a while to get to a place of action and to seek out the resources that I needed. So I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit more about how how people can reach out and get the help or how do we build a, a sense of community around this thing that could be pretty isolating. Well, we have a great support group on Facebook, the Cured NFP support group. Um, we also offer a page. You, you might not want your family to be in the support group where you might want to vent or be sad or tell a story about what happened in your family. So we keep that private. If you invite a family member into the group, that's fine, but we don't just let anybody into that group. It's it's a private group. and. We do ask that you or a family member have the disease and that you were um, asked to be in the group if it's if you're a grandmother or an aunt. Um, so it's, it's a pretty safe place to be able to vent, to be able to get information, give information. 
And we also have a page, a Facebook page, that you could recommend to your family and friends to get educated, where we put out educational material, we put out information about trials, about um, journal entries that were just written by physicians on new findings, and also ways to get involved with CURED. So kind of a safe place for you would be to come to our support group and be able to ask questions and also share your knowledge and your experiences with other people. It's always helpful to hear how somebody else handled a situation or even how to speak to your doctor. We have doctors sometimes that really, you know, claim to be um, knowledgeable about eosinophilic diseases when in fact we know that they might not be the best doctor or have all the right answers. So how do you go about approaching that doctor? And people have great information on in our support group. Um, we also ask, please don't judge other people. Of course, there's people who believe in um, doing an elimination diet. How dare you put your child on steroids instead of removing food? You're putting this medicine in your child. Well, that's your opinion. And we, you know, we ask that people respect other people's opinions in the group. So things, it's a safe place to be. And it's monitored. We have, you know, people watching over the group also. We ask that people do not give medical advice. Um, so I think it's a great place to not feel isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. I think always to go to the Cured website for information um, is just a great place to see and read other people's stories. We have a page on there that is just dedicated to people sharing their stories about their journey. Um, the best thing in the world I could think of to do is to attend one of the Cured Patient Education Conferences. Um, not only are you learning from the best researchers and doctors from around the world, but you're sitting in a room filled with 200 or 300 parents of patients, patients themselves, adults, teens, children, all there who actually understand what you're going through. No matter how close of a family member you're talking to, unless you're living this disease, you can't feel exactly what somebody who is living with this disease feels. So to be able to be in a room with, I say, everybody who quote unquote gets it <laughs> is so true. probably one of the best feelings that I know that I feel. Um, oh. I love being at the conference, even though we're planning it and maybe working it even though I don't have time to sit down with each family and talk to them on an individual basis, I just know they're all there. And I think we all feel a very big sense of family and commitment towards each other um, while we're there. And it's, it's just one of the best weekends of the year for me. Oh, so. That's amazing. Well, and I understand your fifth one is coming up in November. And I have seen people write um, comments about all of the resources that Cured has. And it says a lot that other people are commenting about the positive impact that you're all having to the community. So it's exciting. I can't wait to hear all about November. Yeah. So um, to touch a little bit about our conference, um, it starts November 7th. November 7th is more based on a research conference. It's researchers from actually around the world come in and discuss the different research they're doing. It's 
a little bit over the patient's head, and it's more of something that's geared for doctors and researchers. However, normally patients aren't invited or included in a conference of this manner, but I feel that it's important that the patients get to hear what is going on with the research and how the doctors go about coming to what research they're doing and their findings and actually listen to the doctors ask each other questions and really good questions. And so it's something that's not usually allowed and the doctors put this together and I believe because of the work CURED does and the importance of the work CURED is doing that the doctors allowed us to be part of this research day on Thursday. And there's an extra um, charge for Thursday, a separate charge, I shouldn't say an extra charge, but a separate charge so that if you don't want to attend Thursday, because it's going to be a little confusing, you don't have to pay to be there for that day. We do not offer babysitting on Thursday. Um, it is um, patients or teens, I would say 12 and above, that are allowed into that conference on Thursday. Um, then the actual conference itself starts on Friday morning, which is an extension of the research meeting that was on Thursday. Only the doctors realize that the room is going to be filled with patients and families of patients, and they gear it down more to our level. So it's much easier to understand, but it is about all the findings our last conference was two years ago, so there's been great strides in two years. Um, the reason we do our conference every other year is we feel it's an expensive journey to come to Cincinnati, either by yourselves or with your children, with your family, whoever you choose to bring. And when you come, we want to be able to offer you as much new information as we can, not to bring you out there just to hear the same things you heard the year before. So... Um, that's Friday, and also, besides listening to all the research and the doctors, we choose a few patient stories that we ask patients to get up and to share their story and their journey with the doctors. Um, in a clinic visit or a doctor appointment, there is not always time for the doctor to find out how's life going. How is it being in eighth grade and not eating? You know, Do they talk to your patients about that? There's not always time in a doctor's office. So we touch more on the whole aspect of living with a patient with the disease and letting the doctors know how it's not very easy. And not only the doctors, but we have people from pharmaceutical companies attending the conference, people from the FDA, industry people who really don't know. They know all the medical aspects of the disease. But to find out the devastation of actually living with the disease is eye-opening to them. And I believe two years ago, it really opened their eyes so big that they now ask cured and patients that we can recommend to actually come out and talk to the pharmaceutical company employees that are working on drugs for eosinophilic diseases to motivate them to let them know how desperate we are for better treatments. Wow. And they really do consider the patient voice to be one of the most necessary aspects now of making these drugs. And I think it's really opened up some very new conversation and also hopefully speed up the process of getting these medications that are so desperately needed. 
Um, then uh, back to the conference on yeah, Friday. Yeah. After the conference, we do a tour of Dr. Rothenberg's lab, which I believe is the largest lab um, doing research on this disease. And it's fun because it's for all ages. The groups, some people bring their young children and they do fun games with the children in the lab, kind of showing everybody what's going on. So they focus to all different ages during the tour. It's really interesting to be in the actually the Rothenberg Cured Lab, um, which was just renamed this year. Wow. So that's another exciting thing yes. for Cured. And um, then Saturday portion of our conference, it's all the doctors, um, dietitians, pain management, any doctor that you might come across in your journey of having an eosinophilic disease. And not just Cincinnati doctors. We have asked doctors to stay and talk from all different hospitals. So you're not just hearing the way Cincinnati does it. You're hearing the way Denver does it and Philadelphia and all the different major centers. And um, it's a wealth of information. We have a school advocate. We have an attorney come out and tell you what are your rights as a parent of a child in the school district. Um and what you could do to protect your child and how you need to be your own child's advocate. And it's just a wealth of information. We also share stories from patients, from young adult patients, from adult patients, as well as the parent perspective. And we have breakout sessions all afternoon on Saturday because I would say especially the adults living with this disease they feel like for so many years it's been focused on children having the disease that they were feeling a little lack of, not attention, but they need good doctors also, and they mm -hmm. need to follow a really good protocol also. And so we have some of the leading adult researchers and doctors treating adult patients, and instead of sitting in and hearing about kindergarten or how to send your child to preschool and what you do about not eating food in preschool, they can leave the room and speak with an adult GI or an adult allergist that just focuses on adult care or a dietitian or a social worker or whatever it is. Um, so the conference is not only for parents of patients, it's for adult patients who live with the disease. Okay. We also have a teen session for kids 12 and up where we bring in those same speakers and also fun things going on with them and some young adults helping run the session so that they could focus more on what these young adults would want to do for the two days instead of being in the regular conference and having to listen and try and follow everything. So it, it's also great for the teens to all be together know that there's other kids like them. And they're not the only ones going through this, so they don't have to feel so alone. And I have heard through past experience, whether it's the teens or the young children in babysitting, and babysitting is for all ages. Um, we have babysitting offered all day Friday and Saturday at a very, very low cost. And um, kids make lifelong friends during the conference that they'll keep in touch with forever. And... It's nice for them to know they're not alone as well, it is, as well as for the adults to feel that way. So that's Saturday. And then Saturday evening, we just have a family fun night back at the hotel 
We ask that everyone try and raise some funds for research as much as you could raise, either through a Facebook fundraiser or asking friends and family to sponsor you um, to raise money for our family fun night. And we have a bingo night. It is such a fun evening. We play bingo. There's prizes for all ages. We set up our gift store. We have live auctions. And we just have the best evening ever. And then whatever we raise on Saturday night is added up. And on Sunday morning, Dr. Rothenberg comes out to the hotel to kind of wrap up the weekend for us. And we do a a good couple hours of question answers. And we present Dr. Rothenberg with that check that we raised Saturday night for research. And kind of to show the patients, this is what CURE does. We raise the funds, we turn them over for research. We raise, we don't keep any, we're not, I pay my own way to go to the conference, I pay my own hotel, my own travel. Money that you ask your family and friends to be donated is going to the research. Obviously, there are costs in fundraising, and those costs do need to be paid. They don't give us hotel rooms, you know, for free or bowling alleys for free but beyond that everything is donated to research and I want everyone to enjoy in the experience of getting to hand over that check so oh that's incredible I am in awe of this event Ellen how incredible that you're pulling together every aspect of life with EOE and 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 bringing everyone to a point of inspiration so thank you that's incredible (laughs) oh it's a fun weekend. You'll have to try and attend. Absolutely. I'm clearing my calendar for November. This is great. <laughs> well, with all that you do, I can imagine that there must be many ways for people to get involved with Cured. Um, how could people who are interested go about doing that? Well, they can contact me. My phone number is 847-361-3292. Again, it's 847 361 3292. They can call me. We can talk about different ways that they can get involved. They can host a fundraiser in their town. They can do a Facebook fundraiser. There's different venues through social media like Mighty Cause and different things where people could actually set up a virtual fundraiser and raise funds like that. There's so many different ways. Um, Whether it's a large fundraiser where you could raise $100,000 or a small fundraiser where you were able to raise $150. To me, every dollar brings us a day closer to a cure, and it's not going to happen without everybody pitching in and doing their part and helping. And obviously, the more money we raise, the more money that goes to research, the faster we're going to have a cure. So I encourage everyone, not only for the reason of we need the money and we need the funds for research. But I know for me, it saved me. I could have sat home and cried every day. I felt terrible for my daughter. I felt terrible for our family. I, it was a very hard thing to accept, to know that you have a child who's, who's not well. And so instead of having the negative feelings, we've turned it into a positive feeling and we're doing everything we can And we know that we're doing everything we can to make our situation better. So it's just, it's a great feeling. And 
everybody should have the opportunity at least once to look out into a crowd of people that are there for you and your family and to make your life better and to know that you're making changes and you're I say you're helping rewrite the story of the future of a patient with an EGID. Oh my gosh, what an inspirational statement. And you're 16 years in and still going strong. So what are you looking forward to or most excited about as you look ahead? Well, I think this past two years since our last conference has been a a really incredible year of research. We are... We now have FDA-approved medications for eosinophilic asthma, which is not an EGID, but they're finding that these biologics are also helping with eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorders. So we have trials going on right now on benralizumab, dipilumab, um, AK002. These are drugs that are actually wiping out the eosinophils from the body and really promising um, future for people who are able to get these drugs. And like I said, right now they're approved for hyper, I mean, right now they're approved for eosinophilic asthma. Benralizumab, um, the trial has been finished for hyper eosinophilic syndrome. And hopefully in the next few months, those patients will be able to get the drug prescribed and be covered by insurance. And these other few drugs that I've talked about, they're not going to be for everybody. Every patient isn't going to be able to be on these drugs, but the ones who really um, are able to get the to get this medication, I think it's going to be life changing for those patients. And you know, hopefully, more people will understand the importance of entering a drug trial because without patients willing to enter these drug trials. We really don't have hope of passing these drugs um, by the FDA. We we need patients to actually go out there and offer their body and themselves to be able to move these drugs forward. And the fact that they're already approved for eosinophilic asthma shows me they're pretty safe medicines or they wouldn't be approved for asthma. Mm -hmm. So to enter trial now for eosinophilic gastroenteritis or EOE, taking these drugs, I think you could feel a little less worried about, um, you know, the outcome of taking a dangerous drug. I don't, you know, I don't believe it would be passed by the FDA for asthma if it was, you know, if it was going to cause danger to you. So, you know, on our Cured page, on our website, um, we always list trials. You know, I encourage people to at least reach out to the coordinator working on the trial and see if you qualify and ask questions. See, you know, maybe they could ease your pain and that you cannot be so worried about entering. You know, oftentimes when the trial is in another state, they will help you. They will pay for airfare. They will pay for a hotel or a portion of that. Um, so we know it's costly and they try and keep the funds down. Obviously, they can only offer you as much as they have to offer. So if the drug company is offering free flights, you know, that helps, but not every drug company does that. It's, you know, every trial is different and you have to see which trial works best for you and especially which, which trials are affordable. 
are not affordable to you. But I know my daughter has been on the trial for benralizumab for hyper-eosinophilic syndrome. And she has not had an eosinophil in her body for two years. Am I saying she's cured? No, she's not cured. There's still, there's still questions that we might not have gotten answers to yet at this time. But is she doing much better? Yes, she's doing much better. And I know without her offering to be part of this trial, it might not be passed, be getting passed by the FDA right now. So I know the desperate need for patients to stand up and enter some of these trials is really something that we need patients to understand more on how to get involved like that also. Fundraising is great, but also to try and get involved in some of these medical trials. Um, I know a lot of people have been on the Flovent and the Budesonide. Some people don't get covered. We need to get these drugs passed for eosinophilic gastrointestinal diseases. Even though they're passed for something else and you're getting them off-label, not everybody's insured that way um, by their insurance. So it's important that we do our part in seeing that these drugs get passed by the FDA. It's not only the doctors and the researchers' responsibilities. And Absolutely. Well, I, it's clear to me that you're... Your mission is set, and it's really inspiring the commitment that you have and all that you're doing to to bring the right people together to to make the difference that we all need. And so for my sake, for my son's sake, more than anything, I'm just grateful that I get a chance to say thank you in person to all the work that you and Kirit are doing. Well, you're welcome, and I appreciate the kind words, and I, and I do believe that our work is making a huge difference, and... I encourage anybody not only to get involved, but we talk about being isolated and being alone. And I really feel like one of Cured's missions is that no one goes through this disease alone. And so as I gave out my phone number before, also, if you just need somebody to talk to, somebody who, like I said, gets it, I'm always here. I'm always willing to be an ear and listen. And if I can help you, I'm always willing to try and help you. But it's always just nice to know there's somebody out there willing to listen. And it's not just me. It's other people that um, work with Cured, volunteer for Cured, um, who are also willing to do the same. So I have other numbers that I could share with you and other people that you could reach out to to talk to if you are feeling alone or isolated. a scary disease to go through by yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I am testament to the fact that um, you responded to my inquiry and I just have enjoyed our conversations before this and this podcast I know is going to have a huge impact on people, especially those who are new to this, uh, given the fact that you were willing to share your story and some really great advice for, for how to advocate and how to work as a family and how to get involved. So Ellen, thank you again so much for your time and good luck with the conference in November. Okay, before um, we end, I just want to say one more thing that we didn't touch base on. I forgot. And yeah, of course. There's many people who are on the formula, whether they're taking it as their so-soft source of nutrition or as a supplement to try and just put on some extra pounds or um, grow a little extra, and they go to put it through their insurance, and it's not covered. Mm. And it's another thing Cured has really gotten involved with in the state of Illinois. I actually testified in front of the Senate getting the law passed in the state of Illinois 
anybody with an eosinophilic disorder must be covered no matter how the formula is ingested. Oftentimes people will get a letter from their insurance saying it's only covered if you have a feeding tube. But if you drink it, you're not covered, which is kind of ridiculous because they're asking you to spend more money of theirs and then get the same exact formula that they're now going to cover. But there are certain states that are, that have had legislation passed. Um, But sometimes even when it's passed, insurance companies will try to say, oh, no, there's not a law in your state. And so we've had that happen to us after switching insurance. And, you know, always feel free to reach out to me for help with that. We are trying and working with many other different patient advocacy groups to try and get formula coverage on a federal level instead of state by state. It would just make it a lot easier if we could get this passed. So if there's anybody who wants to get involved with this mission that we're working on, feel free to contact me. Always a great thing to hear other people's stories who have struggled with insurance over formula coverage. It's always helpful for us to bring these stories to the Senate, to their to let them know how devastating it is to deal with this disease and then have to fight with your insurance for hours and hours a week, not even just hours and hours, so many hours uh, to get covered for something that your child actually needs to survive. So, and that's, yes, that's heartbreaking to think um, about the, the impact financially and also emotionally of trying to advocate for something that just seems so clearly needed and yet hasn't yet had the the right laws passed around it. So to hear that you're in front of the Senate and really influencing everything um, related to the the care that we get through from a legal standpoint and insurance standpoint, that just goes beyond what what I was even realizing was happening. Yeah, we. I mean, our community as a whole has been through a lot with this disease. I think being on the forefront of when it was just coming to the public eye, you know, 15, 16 years ago, to watch it grow. One thing I remember when Jory was first diagnosed is celiac was just coming to the public eye. They were just starting to do commercials on television about celiac disease, yet no one had heard of eosinophilic disease. And I thought one of my first thoughts after starting Cured is because of Cured, I believe one day we're going to hear eosinophilic disease on, you know, commercial. And I just remember probably about a year ago getting phone calls going, oh my God, did you just see that commercial for Fasenra? And they're talking about eosinophilic asthma on television and there's commercials for this drug. And it happens to be the drug that Jory's on for the trial. And I'm like, yes, we did it. We have it on the news now. We have it on commercials. You know, we've been on We've been on talk shows. We've been on the Montel Williams show. We've gotten to share a story. If anybody wants to reach out to their news media, you're always welcome to give out my name and my number. If we need a doctor to do an interview, I can always help you to get a doctor who's willing to interview. But reach out. ABC, CBS, NBC, they do care, you know. And when you call them and say you have a story for them, they do listen. But you have to be willing to be the one to call them and to speak a little bit about your own journey also. So For sure. For sure. Well, as we've talked about so much, and I'm sure there's so much we could talk about. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure we talked about today? 
I don't think so. I think we covered so much for people to be able to just and take what we've talked about and just know that my email is ellyn at curedfoundation.org. Um, you can email me through our website. And like I said, I've given my phone number. I'm here for you. Cured is here for you. Cured's mission is to not only raise funds for research, but to educate, to advocate, and to be there for your family and for support for you. So, Well, Ellen, again, inspiring and incredible, and we're so grateful to everything that you're doing. Thank you for leading the charge. There's many of us who support you and look forward to getting involved even more. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share our story. Oh, well, sharing it is... Um, is more than we could have asked for and look forward to having others join in the conversation as well. So if you're interested in telling your story, we'd love to hear it. And please reach out to caringforeoe at gmail.com. Thanks again, Ellen. Thank you. 